Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. May in the garden. So, Chris, um, May already. Time is flying, isn't it? And um, I think this is going to be one of the first years I can remember where the quickthorn, or also known as the May, is going to be in flower in May. I know, yes, and the blackthorn has been in flower for weeks, if not, well, it feels like months almost, um, hence the term blackthorn winter. Okay, uh, I've not heard of that one. Yeah, so, yeah. That, so it's, that's relating presumably to the fact we've had so much cold weather in April. Yeah, it's held everything back, hasn't it? Coupled couple of that with, with the lack of rain as well. But it's interesting, there's a lot of folklore attached to to these sort of sayings at this time of the year. My favourite mm-hmm. is uh, is the one where if the oak comes out, is out before the ash, we're surely in for a splash. If the ash is out before the oak, we're going to have a soak. So, okay. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, uh, I've got an ash tree in the back of my garden and it's not doing stirring at all. My oak trees on my walk are not doing much at all. And that's obviously down to the cold spring and, of course, the, the lack of moisture. Okay, yeah. Mm. I suppose these yeah. things are definitely affected by the yes. growing conditions, aren't, yep. they, aren't they? Most definitely. So, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and late frosts. I mean, I know as a garden centre we've had quite a few problems this year that, that I don't ever remember times when we've had sort of Dutch trolleys of plants coming in mm-hmm. and then a week or so later putting the plants unfortunately on the compost heap because they've just been caught by this yep. the cold nights and yep. I mean we protect them we wrap mm-hmm. them in fleece and they're in a tunnel yep. and yet they're still Suffering. suffering now yeah. is it the conditions are being grown in by the growers chris or i think it's yeah, possibly yeah i think piece of the, i think it's a combination of things i mean obviously a lot of plants are effectively forced on not necessarily in lots of heat but just under polythene so they've got a lot more protection and they're not used to yeah. the cold wind chill i suppose indeed and of course through the month of april which is just gone we've seen a lot of sunshine haven't we and of course that's fueled a lot of growth so uh the daytime temperatures i know in, in my greenhouse through last month were were in, in the well into the, the high 20s well certainly i mean it's been glorious hasn't it i mm. mean not often you have to you know, talk to your friends about how getting sunburn and um <laughs> but i mean this year i've already had three barbecues I had the pizza oven going last Excellent. weekend. So nice that you grab the herbs off the herb bench, all fresh things that you've grown and chuck them all together and um, out comes a lovely pizza. Yeah. And certainly the children love it as well, don't they? That's great. Yeah, I mean, and certainly in my own garden, I've been doing a few projects, which again, probably a little bit ahead of time. However, I've been surrounded by the issues of, of frost damage, um, particularly... How are your potatoes? Potatoes, are, they're, well, they're popping through, but of course I'm, I'm earthing up. Okay. Yeah, we're making sure that they're covered with, uh, with compost i grow all my potatoes in bags so okay um i don't have the the uh, the luxury of lots of space to, to grow them so do in, you in bring them in in the evening or do you just leave them out on uh, the hard standing or patio where you're growing yeah them? they're on the hard standing uh they're and they're, they're basically topped up with with compost as i see a bit of greenery they, they get covered ah, so straight you're protecting away. them with the birthing up and I've, yes i could use a bit of fleece as well if, as well if push comes to shove but it's it's interesting isn't it you know the, the amount of growth they've put on and this has been the problem back in march and into early parts of april plants were putting lots of growth on because it was quite mild yeah and, of, of and course, that's all fresh sort of vegetative growth isn't it because i know i've been growing a runner bean with my son james and got to about four foot tall and we planted it out 
a few weeks ago and the wind has just absolutely caught it. Uh, mm. The leaves are still half looking like normal mm-hmm. leaves, but the other half, the sort of back half, is almost shriveled up. That that is wind damage, isn't it? Chris? Yeah, I think the problem is yes. In warm climate, in warm conditions, and uh, basically you put it outside, and then unfortunately they, the the wind effectively burns the cells because of course the plant's been so cosseted in, in warmth and protection indoors, and that few degrees difference can make all can make a big difference. And of course the plant is going to be more vulnerable because it's outside. Um, so maybe not quite jack on the beanstalk this year, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, is it likely to continue growing? It'll it just. Pre- Presumably, grow some new leaves out because it, it's got its first leaves. It hasn't got the little sort of side shoots where the flowers come out and the, the extra leaves. So, ho- I'm hoping I haven't killed Jack's beanstalk this year. <laughs> no, you should be fine because effectively, you know, you're, you're hardening the plant off because it's yeah. outside. All I would do is, like we suggest through the month of May for all gardeners, get your horticultural fleece. Put that over your plants, or, or even a, a good quality newspaper that will do the job as well. Okay. Actually, layering uh, newspaper and fleece is a really good way of raising the temperature by by up to a couple of degrees. So that acts as an insulation uh, space, which make made the difference between your plants coming through, uh, you know, a, you know, a harsh May frost and not. And of course, May traditionally is a frosty nights, but not as many as we've seen, of course, last month. Okay. So one thing that I've noticed uh, often helps plants get established um, when I'm planting down the allotment is uh, obviously I put my uh, well-rotted farmyard manure in uh, the hole first or maybe a bit of Q4 or something like that and then make sure that I really thoroughly drench the soil as well beforehand and Mm -hmm. make sure that the potters also that I'm about to plant out has had a good water a few hours before Mm -hmm. watering is really crucial and certainly this year we've it's been really dry, hasn't it? It has, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the stats for, for the month of April are, go, are going to be. I suspect it's going to be one of the driest on record. So in that instance, and certainly walking around uh, the garden, you obviously start to see cracks appearing in the... In yeah, the, certainly. In the, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. almost like August where you go yep. down the allotment and it's all just big open cracks. But certainly, yeah, around yep. my rhubarb yep. at the moment, there's cracks yep. already and I've yep. given them a good drench. So, yeah, watering really is, is going to be the key, especially if you've got newly established so you're putting in your new hedging plants this uh, through the course of the last winter they're going to need obviously a good amount of water and it's always you know how much water you give a plant and a lot of people really don't give plants enough i mean if you're restricted by having a water meter that's one issue but then yep. perhaps the other option is to make sure you've got plenty of uh, saved water you know invest in some water, water on, yeah water butts are mm. definitely a good, uh, good investment aren't they and yeah. if you don't want to buy a sort of conventional harker star or sort of a, a shop bought one uh, mm-hmm. you can use well dare i say it, old oil barrels and that would possibly not be filled with oil but more of a, a fruit juice or something like that yep. those sort of big big tanks you can often uh, mm. see people using yeah and you can and you can connect them together you can make yourself a, a real good network of them if you've got a you know a greenhouse or a shed which you obviously or a garage which you can collect lots of water from as well but i think the secret is really when you water obviously try and do it in the morning or at night okay and the reason for that is, is basically to reduce the amount of evaporation or transpiration so 
you know, I, I try and do my watering in the evening, you know, sort of seven, eight o'clock. It's obviously nice and light, nice and warm, hopefully. Yep. Uh, we're out there and you can then really drench the soil. And, you know, allowing the water to sort of puddle around a plant sometimes good, especially if you put some new, you know, shrubs in, uh, leave the, you know, the hose running for maybe 10, 10 minutes around the whole area. So you're not just watering where the plant is, you're watering the whole zone of where the soil is, because at the end of the day, you're trying to attract your shrubs and your perennials and your new trees to extend the roots into where there is moisture. So just keep watering the air, the area around the well, roots. bigger so areas than just the immediate yeah. sort of... That shelter that the, the 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 plants providing. That's it. Yeah, and of course, if you've got plants in containers, that's even more so. Especially if you've got evergreens, um, you know, if you've got your camellias or you've got, uh, you know, fitinias or anything you might grow as a, as a structural plant in a big pot, they're going to take a lot of water because, of course, they'd be they're, they're evergreens, so they're going to be you know transpiring lots of moisture out of their uh, their leaves. So again, once maybe twice a week regime to keep them looking really healthy and to stop them desiccating and dehydrating give them a good dose yeah. of, of watering mm-hmm. and good soaking that's good good advice there chris so walking around the garden center chris we've got masses of customers so it's great to have all you gardeners out there shopping again and nice to see that a lot of the people who we saw for the first time last year have come back and see hopefully going to have another successful year of growing things but the suppliers have really been struggling to get the products out haven't they i mean Mm. we've had the obviously the covid issues and sort of a lot of the products that we sell are manufactured in the far east so there's big problems with getting stuff sort of shipped over and um even the more basic things like compost i've (laughs) already seen this year gaps in the in the selling area Mm. yeah, and I was, I was, yeah, I was hearing that uh, basically we, uh, as, as all garden centres are being basically restricted. They're being given a, a, a limit to how many pallets they can have of, of certain yep. types of compost. So, good week for uh, multi-purpose, peat-free, and grow bags, and then the next week it might be your, 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 your chip bark and such like. So, I think they're trying to be very fair in offering the garden centres a. A bit of stock, but it's, it's frustrating. That's the thing when you yeah, want a particular you're brand. Have to do many trips to the garden centre to get all the things you need. I think this year yeah. it's not going to be a case of going yeah. once and get all the composts and the grow bags you need. And yeah. you're going to have to sort of see, like you say, as they come in. Mm-hmm. And, al- and also, I think, Pete, it's worth mentioning that the, you know the, the pure pure demand for composts again continues to. You know, when we look at lockdown last year, how how people were obviously turning to the garden for for their therapy and for the the mental health being and trying to use the garden as a, an escape. Well, that seems to be continuing. You know, with you know with a real real real, real resurgence now to to carry on that that uh, growing of, of vegetables. Yeah. It is nice yeah, to so good sit to out in the garden and enjoy the sunshine and mm. smell the uh, the flowers that yeah. you've grown and they're so lovely to see, aren't yeah. they? And potter around. And I think that's yeah. what a lot of people are doing now. They're taking a lot of hearts from their their garden, a lot of solace. And now, obviously, we're into into the month of May, and it's the time to get out there and start doing stuff, which is so exciting. Because um, just thinking about sort of bedding plants, I know um, heard recently that hose locker having major problems um, because I think it's one of the factories that supply a lot of the raw materials. Isn't I think it went up in flames, mm-hmm. so they're really struggling with production side mm-hmm. of things. Which obviously, again, if you are looking at getting any watering equipment this year 
try and get it in now if you can find it or mm-hmm. shop around don't yep. uh, I, I think this would be one of those years where things on the internet will um mm. Yeah, be a lot easier to get hold of possibly than yeah. um, going yeah. to the local garden centre. And we're also seeing, a a, shame. yeah, and I'm sure I mean, a lot of people obviously using their gardens for outdoor entertaining. And I know obviously the likes of garden furniture and some of the barbecues and some of the fire pits as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, be, yeah. So really, to, to all to our listener, you know, be savvy with your buying if you need if you need it. Get it. Yes, if you see it, get <laughs> it. <laughs> and that, of course, goes to, to plants as well. We've been seeing um, generally an improvement, actually, over the plants over the last few weeks. But, of course, a lot of the UK growers have been overwhelmed by the garden centres around the whole of the, the UK. And, of course, um, Scotland only has just come out of its lockdown. Yep. So all their garden centres are opening now. So, yeah, you've got to be a little bit, again, careful with, with your plant buying if you see something really... Don't think about it. You know, so grab it because you just might not see it again for for a, for a while. And of course, the seasonality of, of a lot of our plants as well, especially perennials and some of our, of our seasonal bedding plants, means that uh, production cycles are changed. I think a lot of growers seem to have um, basically pushed their programming of, of plants a little bit more forward. So we're getting more earlier summer flowering bedding plants in earlier in this part of May than perhaps yep. we would see in a normal year, which is which is good. But you just need to be a little bit more uh, careful with your with your buying. So just thinking about the fact that obviously the supplies are a bit hard this year again, um, what, what would you suggest? I, I know myself, I, you'll probably laugh at me here, Chris, <laughs> but um, this year I used um, some seed and you know, cutting compost that I'd got left over from last year. Mm-hmm. All my runner beans have come up so yep. far. I've got a few sweet corn coming through. What, what What's the lifespan of compost and seeds? I mean, obviously, I think seeds have dates, sort yep. of packing dates on them, don't they? And most seeds are hermetically sealed. So yeah, they're, they're in those little aluminium foil sort of sealed mm. packets, aren't they? So they're going to last a lot. You know, yeah, obviously use the, uh, the guidelines, but you've usually got a little bit of leverage on there. Some seeds are very short-lived and they will start to... Uh, start to deteriorate but if they are in a hematically sealed foil packet and they're a year or two old yeah they should be absolutely fine i've just sown some lettuce seed which was actually uh, 2019 and it's coming through beautifully just Brilliant. like and you so, haven't sown it all at one time i hope you no, I haven't sowed a bit i've just sown literally uh, a unit of 12 little plugs which will yeah which will be doing that as well which is oh, which is good but compost yeah it's worth if you're storing compost trying obviously store it dry and cool so you don't get any excessive moisture. The biggest problem is people put the compost outside and the water rain gets into what rain we do have, gets into the <laughs> into the compost and that then runs and pushes all the nutrients out. And that's when okay. you can get you can get problems with nutrient imbalances. So So keeping it dry in the shed or perfect. the garage somewhere like that. Yeah. It'll last a good year or two. It will, yes, and uh, yeah. Make sure there's no obviously if it's an open shed or an open, you know, a potting shed. Just make sure the bag is is kept closed because you don't want any weed seeds getting in there. Yeah, and uh, you know, a rogue dandelion could cause havoc. Yes, definitely yeah, <laughs> in your seed tray. So the bedding plants are now in full flow at the moment, Chris. Mm. Um, anything we need to think about when we're buying our new bedding? Yeah, I think um, obviously try and buy something which is uh, growing in such a way that you could see a good strong root system. Years ago, when I first came into horticulture, they always told you to buy plants in the green. Never buy a bedding plant in flower. Okay. How yep. how f- trends have changed? How fashions have changed? We buy buy we buy yeah, without osteosperms are already in yeah. flower and looking good. Yeah, yeah. It's 
I think it was the traditional way, if you think about things like antiriums and marigolds, they used to be growing in trays in wooden, I remember buying my bedding plants in wooden trays uh, many years okay. ago, and they would be, they'd be sold in the green, and they'd rely on a nice colour picture label to sell the product. Yep. Now, of course, colour sells, and as we, we are impulse buyers by nature as gardeners, when it comes to bedding plants especially, um, buy the colours you like. And, uh, well, certainly thinking pelagoniums, mm. they're all in flower. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's how the gardening sort of market has changed. But really, if you, if you, I think the most important thing, make sure you're getting nice, strong plants, make sure they're nice, strong in the, in the, in the cell, if they're in a, a modular tray or in pots. Nice, strong plants, good green colour. And obviously, if they've got flower, make sure the flower buds are forming nicely and there there's, looks like there's good bit of shelf life with it because obviously you don't want something which is totally exhausted which then obviously is going to strittle when you come to plant it into your hanging baskets or your pots there's another little point someone told me once was when you're looking at plants and fast growing to things like bedding plants um to pick the pot up and turn it upside down and have a look at the roots Mm. because if you've got masses of sort of roots coming out the bottoms of the holes the plant's probably quite old mm-hmm. um and equally you want nice healthy roots don't you so yes. what color yeah so the the roots definitely need to be white yeah yeah and i think i think that, that that um advice is really good especially when you can buy shrubs and perennials because obviously you want quite a nice root system there but i think the thing is bedding plants because they are so fast growing and usually they're in containers which are quite small units they fill the, the soil quite quickly, so you're always going to get those those vigorous roots, which, is, of course, is good. But, yeah, just lifting a plant out of the plug just to check the roots is, is, a, is a good good sign, or just looking at the base of the, the pot or the container. But, uh, yeah, white roots indicate good growth. If they're brown or they're, they're, they're mushy, then, of course, either they've been overwatered or the plant is, is unfortunately, on, on its way out. Okay, thanks for that, Chris. And... Um feeding bedding plants mm. i mean obviously they use a lot of water yeah i generally put a sort of half a cap full of my maxi crop in mm-hmm. my watering can and um sprinkle that around yeah. is that good or that's absolutely that's more than probably what? adequate yes okay I, and yeah. uh, there's some other sorts of fertilizers mm. that you can put in the soil isn't there yeah there's what they call slow release feeds so these are these little little sort of tablet pills which um, break down over usually a matter of Three months or six months, depending on which brand you, you purchase, it usually says... You know, so phosphogen... Yeah, phosphogen, phosphogen. Yeah. The, the, the orange mm-hmm. box, and then is that osmocote? Is that yeah. still... No, osmocote sort of disappeared as such. It's been... Um, they've re- renamed it, I think, it's just as a slow-release fertiliser, because I think okay. it was a bit confusing for people. But osmocote was the commercial product launched probably about 30 years ago, and it revolutionised yeah. the way we grow our plants. Because it's, well, it's, certainly, I, I yeah. can remember hanging baskets. Um, mm. It was a revelation, because you, mm. you used to chuck some osmocote and some swell gel yeah. in you know, with yep. your compost, and suddenly yep. the watering issues that always hanging baskets suffer mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. were not cured, but they were definitely relieved a little bit, and yeah. um, obviously the feeding side of things yeah. as well. Was yeah, I think I think it's important when you buy you when you buy your plants. Um, obviously, they're getting to the point where they're they're coming into flower. They need the maximum amount of nutrients. When you put them into some new compost, of course, they're going to have at least six weeks of goodness there to to get 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 hold of. And of course, then they'll put some nice strong roots down. Once those roots have, have filled the container, especially if you're putting lots of plants in a hanging basket, then of course it's important important that your your slow release fertilizers in there or you go to a, to a liquid feed perhaps okay um plenty of those on the market i suppose the most 
popular brand lead is of course in Miracle Grow. Yep. Um, great Miracle Grow. Um, obviously, it's been around for for many years. It was introduced originally from America. Massive brand over there, and we've obviously taken the you know the the, the name to heart. High in nitrogen. It's got quite a lot of nitrogen in it, so it's good to get those nice leafy plants established. Yep. But I tend to go for something like phosphogen or a tomato feed, personally, which They've has got, got more phosphates in that's it. They? So yeah. that's better yeah. for yeah. flowering. For flowering, yeah. So yeah. That, that's going to be yeah. far better for your uh, bedding plants. Yeah, and if you if you want to get the really best out of your containers, alternate the two. So you're giving the best okay, of the plants. that's a good idea. Yeah, and it doesn't cost you... I mean, you know, obviously you have to buy one pack of each, but at least you're alternating, and that gives the plant a, a bit of a break especially if you've got hanging baskets later on in the summer when they become a little bit tired you know they start to run out of steam yep. give them a, a nice you know couple of doses of, of uh, miracle grow will get a lot of nice leafy growth back in place and of course that leaf growth then will translate hopefully to some flowers as well so yeah mix and match your feeds so often uh, something that's also sort of hit the market in the last few years are these new sort of troughs and pots which have dare I say water reservoirs mm-hmm. in them which uh, yes I, I think a brilliant idea I mean I, I know councils around the country have been using them for a while because you can now sort of drive through villages and see trails of pelagoniums Wonderful. sort of yeah. flowing out of these pots on the light posts and lamp posts mm. and things like that it's so much so much color and it's such an easy way to you yep. get some more flowers and plants into the areas that are a little bit harder to get regular water I, to. I think you're absolutely right, Peter. I think sometimes our preconception of what a, a container has to be, if you go down the modern route, you're going to bring in all this new technology as far as water reservoirs and such like. Whereas there's a lot of traditional gardeners will want a, a traditional hanging basket, they'll want a moss-filled basket or one of these uh, uh, coir fibre liners in there, which, again visually look nice but actually they cause you a lot more work because they're not going to hold as much moisture long term wise so if you're prepared to put the extra effort in extra additional watering and feeding then that's obviously going to be uh, advantageous so my favorite fruit strawberries what do we need to do with strawberries at the moment chris okay yeah if you've got I mean, you've got your strawberries going then obviously you would probably give them a bit of a feed um yep. I, I was weeding mine actually the other day getting some of the weeds out and of course i'd snipped off all the runners from last year too okay so you've um you're, you're propagating your strawberries oh, yeah. well they well they they sort of move out of the strawberry bed and they've actually rooted in my bark chipped area all the way around so okay. propagation was very easy this year um nature provided away but yes basically the strawberry bed was uh, given some extra feed i got some uh, vitas q4 yep. applied that over a couple of handfuls they're in square meter raised beds my strawberries okay uh, and have you something that i was taught at college this is the non-conventional way of doing it is you've got some old copper wire from the electricians because mm-hmm. earth wire yep. it, mm-hmm. the, the copper earth wire you get in it, i think it's called twin and earth mm-hmm. and wrap that around your raised beds um, yes. now i know there's some problems products that we sell which mm. are like a copper tape copper tape with, that's that, that, that's the fancy stuff isn't yeah it, it is and mm. that it works it, doesn't it you it see is. the slugs coming up to it and they, they get a little get bit, a bit of, of static on them and, uh, <laughs> turn around and go back yes yeah, yeah i do like yeah, seeing yeah. that one yeah so in fact that's what i did i've got we've got me, me copper tape around both both of the beds there um and then really um added a little bit of compost because it's a bed i'd put some fresh compost in there yep. i actually recycled my t- uh, potato bag 
compost. Okay. So I'd, uh, I'd obviously harvested the potato bags back in the, in the autumn um, during last summer, but I actually kept the compost stacked and I then yep. used it, recycled it or upcycled it. And, yeah, and they're absolutely fine. And uh, they're now growing through nicely. Excellent. And just thinking about your comment about runners and strawberries, there's a number of runners that you should leave on the plant as a guide, isn't there, that sort of doesn't take out too much energy from the plant, but... Yes. Um, yeah, probably Yeah, probably three to five, I would probably say. Yeah, it just depends on, on, on the variety. And some varieties of strawberries are very apt at producing lots of runners and some are quite shy at doing that as well so you've got that mixture but yeah three to five and then obviously you want to be with a strawberry bed making a new bed every sort of two to three years so you've got the natural progression of keeping your stock nice and healthy okay now chris when you see sort of um strawberry farms and people growing their strawberries you often see lots of straw Mm. being used what's that for yeah so traditionally you're using the straw to keep the fruits off the soil um so that helps deter the slugs and also stops the soil splashing on those wonderful ripening fruits as they're developing so it's too thick and also it suppresses weed growth too so it's a three three pronged action Excellent. And um, I know the other trick my mother used to do with her strawberries was um, we had a massive holly tree in the garden and obviously every now and again they'd mm-hmm. shed their leaves mm-hmm. and they used to uh, sort of go in the corner of the patio and sweep them up and she used to mix them in with the straw and again sort of anti-slug protection, not quite landmines but um, <laughs> spikes for them, a bit like the bird spikes. Yeah, yeah, not nicely barbed, that should slow them down shouldn't it? Yes, definitely, definitely. yeah. Like Keeps them away yeah, from yeah, yeah things. So. And um, what about other fruit uh, fruit at the moment? Is there anything else we need to be thinking yeah, about? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously thinking about putting up um, uh, pheromone traps to okay. control your, uh, your 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 coddling moths and other other issues, which obviously apple trees can get. Um, and obviously you can put those up into the trees now. And then once you bought the units, basically you get a refill every year. So yep. cost-wise, it's not, not particularly expensive, but it's worth it, and especially with coddling moth, of course, is such a, a, a pain because, you know, you only find you've got the problems when you bite into your apple, you know. Well, it's and, a bit uh, late uh, by that yeah, point, by Yeah, and there's nothing worse than not finding the maggot in a, a coddling mm. moth-affected apple. So, so, yeah, so do that. And, you know, you, you can set those up within, within your, your orchard area. If you've got one or two trees, put them there. And, again, if you've got uh, the same problem for your, your stone fruits as well, so your your, uh, your plums and your, your gauges and your damsons, then, of course, you can. there's a, a, obviously the plum moth trap activity as well. You can sort of slow down. And what these traps do, Peter, is they basically attract the males. Right. So it stops mating, so you don't get any offspring, and hopefully you don't get any, any problem uh, maggoty fruit at the season. Yeah. So nice, 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 tasty fruit. Indeed. Yeah. And um, what about training? Uh, I mean, there's, there's so this time of year, do you mm. need to start training aubergines or? Yes. So let's think. Yeah. So if you've got, if you're growing, yeah, your peppers, aubergines, you might want to nip out the growing tip to encourage the plants to become bushy. Yeah. Yep. So you're encouraging a nice bushy, stocky plant in the um, in the orchard, or if you've got. Uh, uh, fruit trained on a, a spalier or fan trained you might want to start start thinking about just make sure you're tying in those stems as they start to elongate and put some decent growth on through the month of may and june they put a lot of growth on so do that 
in the ornamental garden, you might want to be training your uh, your, your, your ornamental uh, climbers. So if you pl- recently planted a honeysuckle or a, a clematis, make sure you're, you're giving those enough support to get them where you want them to, to flower. So it's just probably just going round and just doing a bit of trimming and, and trimming back. And I think the one thing, one plant which you might have to do a bit of trimming and training this year is, of course, going to be hydrangeas because, of course, they got hit quite badly last month with the, with the frost. The frost, yeah. So you know, I was doing uh, in my garden the other day and just going around and tidying the plants up and, and trying to nurture some nice strong shoots, which will hopefully mean, mean the plants recover and we get some flower this year. Excellent. So a good foliar feed, would that help them as well? So yeah. that's where our miracle grow could um, help out. It could, yeah. yeah. Now we're into the month of May. Fingers crossed we're going to have less chance of um, of night frost. But yeah, a good good dosing of, of miracle grow with a, obviously a cap full of uh, good old maxi crop in there as well, just to stimulate the growth too. Yeah, because I mean that uh, I've not come across that uh, idea of sort of painting um, maxi crop on onto apple trees to get them to bud in the right place before. Indeed, uh, it's a good tip. That so just thinking about ponds, Chris. Mm. Um, obviously you know, the water's warming up now, so probably time to stop feeding wheat germ food and move on to sort of more mm. higher protein foods. And um, the plants in the pond, what, mm. what, what should we be thinking about? Well, that? I was I was extracting some duckweed from mine uh, on, mm. on, on last weekend, uh, which was obviously building up as well. And uh, obviously, I suppose introducing some new plants as well. Good time, isn't it, now to get your uh, your new perhaps some fresh o- oxygenators in there. Yep, and maybe do a bit of a revamp, revamp around your, your marginals too. Um, I've, um, I've I've got a, um, a couple of iris which I, I need to extend. I love iris around the pond. They just give you so much height and colour. They do and they're so easy to grow aren't they? They grow everywhere and yeah. you know, such an easy plant to grow. Indeed and I've got um, a few things which obviously I might have to just thin back this year. I've got a hutenia cordata okay. uh, which is a lovely plant. Well it's lovely when it's in a pot so in, a, in the garden centre but when you get it home and it it's, uh, it, it grows everywhere. I mean it's, it's, it's good in small doses I think but it's, it's a lovely plant to get established in a corner of your pond certainly and it, uh, I like how the fact it sort of tries to even get into the water at, at some point too. Yeah, because it's more of a bog plant than a yeah. sort of true aquatic mm. plant, but certainly in sort of boggy areas, it, it yeah. gives you lovely ground cover and, like you say, sort of great to sort of merge in, uh, around the edge of the pond. Yeah. And just thinking, uh, now the lilies are slowly coming to the surface, um, something that I always um, aspired to was a natural pond. And one of the tricks that I learned was if you cover about two thirds of the water surface with plants whether it be lilies or other sort of things that float across the surface then it'll massively cut down the sunlight into the water Mm. which then stops the things like the blanket weed which is the bane of most pond keepers isn't it chris yeah it's the balance isn't it the amount of sunlight getting into the pond and the temperature and of course i suppose the salts as well Yep, definitely in the oxygen levels because again so you where you've got a waterfall you quite often find that Mm. blanket weed likes to grow down the waterfall because it's Last in sunshine, yeah. lots of nice flowing water. and Yeah, and I was thinking, because I, I had to top my pond up, I haven't got a very large pond, but I actually got the hose from my water butt and used rainwater this Brilliant. time. But, uh, but I mean, I suppose if we do get a, you know, a dry year, if you have to use tap water, then I suppose we'll have to be careful of, of that. And can, is it, I suppose, is, is it the barley straw situation, or is there anything else we can... Well, yeah, if you're going to use tap water, always please, if you've got fish in a pond as well, use a dechlorinator because obviously the water board you know, keep on 
tap water nice and clean and healthy by putting chlorine in it but unfortunately that's not great for the fish's gills because mm. it actually burns the fish's gills um, and um, mm. doesn't do them much good but yeah the other you know, sort of natural um, treatment for uh, sort of blanket weed would be barley straw yep. I mean it's, it takes a while to start working it's not like some herbicide that you put in and um, it's not an days. instant fix. No, no. <laughs> the, it, it, the way it works from memory is as it rots down, it releases an, an enzyme into the water and that enzyme works as an actual herbicide. So, mm. yeah, it, it's a relatively safe thing to do, but obviously don't put whole bales of barley straw into <laughs> sort of 50-gallon ponds. That that won't do <laughs> the water much good. But yeah, use in moderation, but equally, um, it's a very good uh, old-fashioned method of uh, sort of keeping bu- uh, blanket weed under control. And uh, a nest I always found was the easiest thing you know, with duckweed. It's a bit of a pain, but so if you're going out feeding the fish... Get a little sort of net and net out some of the duckweed from around the edges. And mm. if you do it on a regular basis, you can actually yeah. keep it under control. There are products like filters that suck the water off the surface that, again, will trap uh, leaves and duckweed in them and get rid of it that way. But just a simple net or sort of flooding the pond if there is enough water uh, um, is another way of just getting rid of it and keeping the water nice and clean. And I'm going to say, just, just to say that, Peter, when you're taking out any vegetative material, it's always worth leaving that on the bank, isn't it? Just in case you bring yeah. up any, any uh, amphibians, any little newts or, or uh, Good frogs point. Toes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they can then get they back, can get back into, yeah, into the water. Into yeah, the pond. yeah, certainly. So thinking forward to our next episode, we've got Stuart Lowen from Ball Colgraves coming in, haven't we? We have, yes. It's quite exciting, really, because we're going to be looking at uh, the whole area of bedding plants, but in a different way, because Ball, okay. Ball Colgrave are real innovators in so many areas of, of the, the plants we buy for our hanging baskets and our pots and such like. And there's some quite interesting and exciting news on the horizon using perennials as well. So really excited to to, uh, to listen to Stuart in, in the next next podcast. Brilliant. And you, yeah, because he's going to be telling us about the busy Lizzie. Yes, how that's, that's, that's sort of changed. In fact, um, quite a few... Uh, plants in the the history of bedding plants we're going to have a a look at and highlight and how they've changed over the years and how they work best for us gardeners too so uh, lots should be interesting then Uh, some more things to learn no doubt Mm. about bedding indeed indeed it'll be be a good 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 lesson i'm sure well thank you for all your tips for may chris um it's been another learning journey for me again packed program actually (laughs) good stuff okay we'll speak again soon thank you for listening thanks peter thanks Our thanks today goes to Chiltern Music Therapy for providing the music for our show. At Chiltern Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.